0: Okay, the countdown again, and uh, Andy Britt gives us the countdown three, two, one. We're on hey. here at City Limits. It's a uh, it's a second Wednesday of the month. It's a, it's a Wednesday in which we do usually do energy and related issues. He puts the cup there and tea there. <coughs> Hang on, that's it. Gets him settled down. Hey, Andy, I was uh, this is ridiculous. I know you're going to find this absolutely ridiculous, but. I was actually in um, in the building by four and a half minutes to nine this morning.
2: I noticed you rock up on the monitor. Yes, yes, at, uh,
0: ridiculously early. I I, uh, I have to have, have to admit I must have caught every light uh, on the way or something on the wind behind. Now the wind wasn't actually behind me, but uh, oh, it's quite a nice yeah.
2: day out, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. In fact, um, I wasn't sure whether to even wear a jacket, which I did. I'm glad I did. A bit colder, but yesterday I went out on the bike and wrapped up as you do in this weather and it was actually quite balmy yesterday mm. I got over hot so there you are
2: that's, that's, our weather we, you? that's
0: our weather report for the day uh, <laughs> that's it
2: I've got a little thing on the screen here 14 degrees it's in ah well
0: yes it might have been one of those 14 seems like 8 or something because mm. um, it was a bit I, I was it's glad crazy. I had a jacket when I hit it off on the bike I've got to admit yeah. this morning yeah. fair enough but I didn't, I didn't wear gloves I didn't need to wear gloves that's interesting isn't it mm. so there we are I'm sure our listeners are wrapped in all that information at this time of day. And um look I'm gonna pour a cup of tea uh and tell people that today being energy day we've got um we've got Chloe um Chloe what's her name again? Chloe um Abraham, I no her name I know her name. Chloe Eld, Chloe Chloe Eldenhoven, that's her name. And she's the um the coal person with Friends of the Earth. So we're going to talk about all this effort to keep coal places open, etc. But also, she recently, and those people will get a bit of deja vu here because yesterday morning she was actually on the Friends of the Earth Dirt Radio Show about this time of morning, um, talking about a, a a conference, a faux conference she went to in um, PNG with Asian PNG. And, and people, which sounded quite interesting as well. So we might even move on to that. But yeah, cool. we're, primarily, we're going to talk about this whole thing about coal. I'm going to pour this tea. It's interesting tea this morning, Andy. We are on. Well, seeing I knew Meg wasn't coming in because, um, and I, I I'm going to avoid say we have to say the W word here, unfortunately. Andy, um, oh. Meg last week she was ill, but this week she rang and she's actually got she's worked, wow. she's got a job yes this week, so she'll be back next week. But okay. uh, yes, so that's, I mean, uh, isn't it? That's a hard man. slog. Oh, I can. You've gone pale, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Ed. The, w- yeah, uh, the word, oh dear, yeah. yes, it's awful. So there you are. Um, so being on my own, I put in this tea, which actually I, I drink at home sometimes, and it's a, It's one you've got to acquire a taste for, though. It's actually a. Uh, it's a dry desert lime. Mm. Very interesting It's an acquired taste Very sour But quite lovely When you get used to
2: it I had a spearmint one last night Ah, did you? Yeah Yeah. Do you want a glass of a cup of this? No, No, I've got coffee on this side Mm
0: -hmm. Ah, Yeah, that was a bit
2: different Yes. Yes It is acquired, an acquired taste. As yes, you say. that's right,
0: that's right. But this is, uh, well, I'm acquired, this one. and, um, Well, I acquired it and then acquired the taste because I, I do like lime. When I saw mm. it, I thought and it was in an Asian shop and I thought I'll grab that. It looks interesting. Too nice. um, just as a piece, I, I, I mainly picked up this, I'm using this page to um, promote something else. But while I'm at it, on the same page, is that wonderful comment by Peter Dutton, our wonderful Minister for Concentration Camps, et cetera, mm. who, um, who said that lawyers who actually defend, lawyers who defend refugees are un-Australian. He's a strange guy, isn't he? Oh, strange. Well, yes. I mean... He's, he's, he's a, saying he's a potential prime minister, isn't it? Oh, Imagine, yeah, that's but, scary. I mean, you have to deny being Australian. If he was going around the world representing us, you'd have to say, Look, no, 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 not Australian. Mm. Not Australian, no, no, no. Not Australian.
2: I think he's a former narco officer or something. Yeah, like he's that. a
0: former copper. I think he might have been in an army, but I know he yeah, definitely yeah. a former copper, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So there you are. Mm. Mm. Sip of this beautiful tea. Um Now, also, of course, last week the government settled a case in which, um, by the way, um, just in response to that, Fiona Macleod, who's a silk uh, and head of the Law Council of Australia, she said there's nothing more Australian than ensuring people are subject to the rule of law and have their legal rights protected. The Australian legal system reflects fundamental Australian values, including the right to have your case heard, the right to not be arbitrarily detained, and the right not to be subjected to cruel or inhumane treatment so um uh, that's uh yeah. putting Peter in his place, perhaps, but not I mean he'd say well we we're stopping them drowning, of course yeah. but then last week last week, the government settled a case for seventy million with people on Manus Island, which gives them about apparently they each get about um they each get about what the Herald Sun described as a week's a year's unemployment benefits or something. And the Herald Sun story and it's the Age much. story, once again, one of those ones where the Herald Sun said it was really terrible. These people are virtually stealing from Australian taxpayers, whereas the Age gave a more rationed uh, well. <laughs> coverage of the same same event. But Peter Dutton said that he was frustrated and angry at this settlement, but, but his legal advice was that that's what he should do. And I pointed out, I've mentioned on the week that was twice this week already, that Someone should explain to Pete the reason he got that legal advice was that the plaintiffs actually had a very strong case mm. that made sense to settle because then you didn't get a precedent and which might have completely destroyed his whole policy. Actually, um, and um,
2: it's a pity. Didn't
0: yes, it? And, and of course the fact was he didn't have a strong case, so in fact they won on legal grounds. I mean, you have the him and the son attacking people because they win a case based on the law. It's like. Like the environment movement, when it wins on the law, they attack it for abusing the law, um, which is uh, pretty awful. But anyway, um, Pete Pete said that at seventy million. Well, when I say he had a bad case, it's us because it's our money—seventy mil of ours uh, plus twenty. That's really ninety mil because they reckon there'll be about twenty million in costs involved as well. So. There you are. That's yeah, what Peter's doing to our money. And if, if you think about that, 90 million for that, plus millions and millions it costs every year to maintain a ruined Manus Island. If you brought the people here, they were working in our community, paying taxes, as people say, and all those things that you know, are supposed to be decent citizens. But whatever. As long as they, if they were here and treated as normal human beings in our society and part of our society, we'd be saving a bloody lot of money, I would have thought. That sounds
2: sensible, Kevin.
1: hmm
0: did I say something soon? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Good God. It's
2: spot on. Right.
0: <laughs> we were pleased to hear that uh, trying again, um, to, to um, speaking of spot on, um, Kelly O'Dwyer, the finance services minister, which financial services, which really means servicing the financial industry, I suspect, and she's trying desperately to do it with superannuation because as we know, it's one of the biggest investment, thing, investment um, pools in mm. Australia these days. And uh, Kelly is once again trying to have it wrested away from unions, essentially the industrial ones. And as we know, the union-run funds make more money; they're, they're more efficient than the bank runs by the bank and the financial institutions. Mainly because I suspect they take a lot more out in fees, etc., which is there you know, yeah. because they're in for profit, and the others aren't. Uh, but she, of course, wants, as we know, to change the board structure so you put more independent, and for that, in parenthesis, means bankers and financial institution, the ones who are not running and the others very efficiently, and then will charge fees for their directorship, of course. Um, she wants them on and get and, and to lower the proportion of of union people, etc., to run it because they and they and there's a very strong push by the the neo-liberal economists in the financial review to support her cause that, you know, it's, it's now so big that these people are amateurs and they really shouldn't be running this sort of thing. Their the friends should have the that's jobs. That's right, and they got, their, they got their snouts in the trough. In fact, they called it, a one headline called it a gravy train for union officials and things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's going on, and uh, you're pleased to know that Kelly's doing her best now to, to help out in that area. Isn't that good? <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. I'm A bit uh, worried
2: about my super fund. I'm, I'm sure it's non-existent. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, well, I can assure uh, you, why it isn't. Uh, I mean, isn't existing. Um,
0: the another just um, again another lovely coverage by the Sun. This sort of the the, the sensible, objective coverage it gives to stories. Um, some squatters were in a, a South Melbourne public housing property which had been vacant for many, many months. Uh, and the, the, store, the front paragraph of the story says, a ragtag bunch of squatters. This, doesn't that cover it beautifully? A oh, ragtag it really bunch. really creates yeah. the image, doesn't it? Oh,
2: it, it does. That's, that's good objective reporting, isn't <laughs> it? I think i seen a bit on this, and they had a banner from one of their balconies. Did they? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. But, yeah, they, anyway, the Herald Sun isn't that impressed with them, I can assure you that. Um,
0: claimed a sought-after public housing property. Now, hang on, sought-after by who in South Melbourne? Because it had been vacant um, for apparently several months. Um, The the group who say they are a bunch of women and gender-diverse people, well, that makes them a ragtag bunch, doesn't it? Women and Mm. gender-diverse. Good heavens. Oh, my God. (laughs) Are refusing to move out of the two-storey terrace in the swanky suburb. Um, <clears throat> the Department of Health issued, etc. The squatters released a statement on social media saying they would not leave in protest at the government's harsh treatment of squatters. One squatter, Nita Habibi, said the government was kicking them out without giving them time to pack their bags. Squatters should be given the same amount of time as tenants to find fine alternate accommodation, etc, etc. And um, the minister, she said they occupied the house only because it was vacant for five months. So there's well, much sought after. Quite a, a for while, five isn't yeah. It? It's wonder what they if, if, wonder what their definition of much sought after is. Yeah. Well. Um, anyway, um, five months, but Martin Foley, the housing minister, who himself is a former public housing estate worker, um, but he doesn't. You wouldn't know it these days in the way he carries on. But anyway, said no one had the right to illegally occupy a home. Well, that's a split infinitive. Notice that. That's very bad. Very mm. bad. Yes. Mm. We ask those illegally squatting in South Melbourne—it's like illegal boat people, isn't it? Really, I mean, yeah. I mean, um, if you're homeless, you shouldn't go into a place that's vacant and put, put a roof over your head because that's
2: illegal. There's lots of it's sensible things yes, coming out. Yes, that's right, but if, but if, <laughs> right, but if, 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 if Robert
0: Doyle gets his way, also sleeping on the streets illegal. So where do you sleep? You just, yeah. just don't sleep. You stand up and all night. Where? That's it. Anyway, we ask these people to leave immediately and work with housing officers to receive support if they need it. Well, I would have thought they did if they're thrown on the street. Um just a, just a slight suspicion they might need a bit of support. They are getting in the way of those in need, and it is time that they leave. Now, those in need, it's been five months since they've decided to do anything about those in need. Mm. Um, and indeed, um, the same thing happened, of course, at the um, – and they do mention the the case that was about the uh, Collingwood the last year – Okay. Um, but um, in that case, again, the Salvation Army moved in and said they were needed for the needy So they wanted to throw the homeless out, which we always found a bit strange in this place um, yeah. But nonetheless, um, now that the needy, have, they're open to the needy to move in The government actually is selling them to private owners
2: So I don't quite follow here, bit of trouble You've got to read between the lines there, do yeah, you? Yes, you do, don't you? <laughs> 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 anyway, you'll be pleased to hear
0: all that um, and um, oh, here's some good news though about Lindsay Fox, who's one of our favourites. Perhaps, <laughs> good perhaps, news. perhaps this is consolation for St Kilda missing the finals because Lindsay, of course, used to play for St Kilda, and uh, yeah. he was um, he was known as a fairly rough footballer. Right, that where he made all his money, or? Um, no, he made it out of his lead fox. St. <laughs> St. Kilda. I don't know <laughs> I mean, if we're going to St Kilda, but yeah, these yeah. days papers are good. You would not make all that money, cause, wouldn't you? But not, not when he played. When he played, I think they got they give him a, you know, a kickback or something. <laughs> um... But anyway, um, he's he's spent more than five million dollars on a Mercedes Benz, which is the first Formula One engine, um, which has been made legal to drive on the road.
2: Really?
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, um, it's left-hand drive, and he won't be able to drive it in Australia when it gets here until the law changes. But I'm sure Lindsay can sort that one out. And he, but he he thought he'll put it in his um, in his museum of uh, classic cars and docklands. He's mm. got a That'll be nice, for it be lovely. But when he does get it on the road, you'll be pleased to hear this. This particular car, and it, well, it's powered by, a. and this, you'll understand like I do what all this means, a 1.6-litre V6 Formula One engine with a staggering 1,000 horsepower or 750 kilowatts in modern terms paired to hybrid electric motors to give it all-wheel drive acceleration.
2: Explain all that to me. Yeah, right. Um, uh, it goes fast. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Right. Well, you'll be pleased to know how fast it goes, and this is so useful on our roads. Uh, they reckon it'll be able to do naught to a hundred in three seconds, and naught to two hundred in less than six seconds. And its top speed is three fifty. That'll be useful on our roads. Mm. And driving in a traffic jam, it can hit a hundred in
2: three seconds. Yeah, and presumably right. also hit about twenty five other cars. And there's all this talk about losing helmets on bicycles. So. Yeah, that's right. So um, a few it's certainly
0: factors as a road vehicle. It's certainly useful. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Five mil of his um, down the – well, not down the – it shows how much he's got. Yeah. Just thought I'd mention this one too, um, Andy. The uh, <clears throat> the chief executive of health insurer Nib says private health care premiums will continue to rise up to 5% per annum for the next 20 years. He argues anything above, etc. While the 2.7 billion private health insurers' prices are fixed until next year, Mark Fitzgibbon insists he's, he's, he's the bloke, the nib bloke, mm. that unless the government relaxes regulation, including rules concerning giving younger members premium discounts, prices will continue to go up. Even if we had a perfectly efficient system with no over-servicing and we're not paying ridiculous prices for prosthetic devices, even in that world, we were still going to spend something like between 4 and 5% on our healthcare care as a society. Our taxes are going to have to meet that funding and our premiums are going to have to meet that funding. They have to go up now. So here he is saying, I'm going to have to put our prices up. Isn't that terrible? Uh, a couple of days later, in fact, literally um, 22 to 28, six days later, a uh-huh. story appeared saying health fund honchos have pocketed pay rises as high as 14% after slugging customers with soaring insurance premiums. Consumers are paying hundreds of dollars a year to cover management costs of health funds, according to the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority data, as industry bosses reap record salaries." So there you are. Fitzgibbon himself earns 3.3 mil as a package, uh, which went up a million this year, um, and their profits jumped 29% to
2: $120 million, um, But he still wants to put things up. I mean,
0: is there a contradiction in there somewhere?
2: Uh, <coughs> I'm noticing something going on there. It sounds as mm. though. Yes, of course, we might well argue that there should
0: be no private health insurance at all. That the, we pay a, a levy for health, and um, that the government um, should uh, meet the uh, meet the full costs of health insurance. And if the if the premiums aren't covering the full costs, then the simple solution I would have thought would be to uh, put up the levy, which they're a bit of a dispute about now because they want to do it for uh, the disability scheme. Okay. But um, if if the levy isn't big enough, then you, you increase the levy and you maybe make the which pay a bit more uh, you know. sounds good to me, yeah, and of course, apart from the private health insurance there 's also public public monies part the part of that levy which is actually going to also propping up those companies because we give uh, we give concessions to people who take out private health insurance, etc, so mm. there 's all that stuff going on and uh, so again it's a, it's effectively privatizing something that's very public and we might when we talk to uh, Chloe very shortly we might in fact raise that point that as they carry on about um, base load and and the right of the private sector and there's this dispute going on now about the the coal mine where the, the, the Dell, which the government wants them to keep open and they're saying well it's in our in our commercial interest to close it uh, yeah. etc not to sell it uh, and the interests of the shareholders must come first. This comes back, of course, to the fact that when the, the privatization of these utilities, and surely electricity, like housing and others and health, are public, you know, public responsibilities that should be met by the public purse um, yeah. through taxes, etc. But uh, and, and through, of course, people paying for it, but paying for it much more reasonably than, if, than the private the private sector. But you know, the, the fact that it's under threat. Um, is an indictment on the whole process of privatising the industry, I would have thought, because no doubt the the state-owned utilities made sure there was ample electricity, and I'm sure in, in the modern age, they'd be ensuring also that much of it was... Re- we'd hope yeah. they'd be ensuring much of it was renewable, although with the governments we've got, that might necessarily be the case, but mm. you'd think so, wouldn't you? On that um, so. on that segue, let's uh, have a yarn to Chloe. We'll get her on the phone. Okay, and on the line we have um, Chloe Aldenhaven who's the uh, coal person. What's your actual title at Friends of the Earth, Chloe? Coal and something or something, aren't you? Yeah,
1: I'm a coal and gas community campaigner. Coal and
0: gas community campaigner. Up, well, you're on the right program for the gas bit. Um, <laughs> the. Uh, um, of course, we've seen. And we're just looking at the front page of this morning's Financial Review. In fact, uh, PM's new baseload plan. But it seems that um, given they've adopted everything that Finkel said, except the one—the the one—the uh, one, the clean energy target—they're uh, now saying, well, they can accept that as long as they raise the baseline, so that in fact coal can be used as part of clean energy. Is, is there a, a problem with that somewhere?
1: Um, yeah, I mean there definitely is. Uh, it's, the problem is it's completely ignoring the fact that we're we're facing this huge climate crisis and we need to be reducing our carbon emissions as quickly as possible. Um, and, of course, coal is one of the greatest contributors to climate change, and we just can't go on relying on coal for our baseload power. But I think what's really important in this, in this case, too, is that the coalition here are being very deceiving. We don't have a problem with baseload power in Australia and and um, it has
0: nothing to do with causing blackout. Um, yeah. 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 They, well, they, they so explain that because they argue that uh, that renewables can't. You know, they're, they're lying about when the sun don't shine and the wind don't blow and all those correct arguments they're going on with. That we need coal to ensure base load. You say we don't.
1: Well, uh, baseload can be achieved by renewables. but At the moment, they're, they're blaming blackouts over summer or potential blackouts over summer on a lack of baseload power in Australia and saying that we have to keep old power stations like Hazelwood and Liddell open in order to um, achieve baseload power in Australia. But that's just not the case. Where um, We sometimes experience problems with power supply in summer because... Um, we don't have um we don't manage to get peak demand, and actually renewable energy is one of the best ways that you can ensure um, peak demand can be accelerated um, and in that in that way they've been very deceiving
0: and of course, with the Liddell thing we, we we mentioned just before you came on that really the whole Liddell thing shows the 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 problems problems caused by the privatization of our essential asset because if you argue that that power is an essential service in the community, then it really shouldn't be in the hands of the private sector who are saying, in fact, to the government that our shareholders must come before the community.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We've definitely seen the problems that privatisation has caused, the social problems that privatisation has caused in the power industry in Victoria. Um, But I think it's also interesting that we're seeing these coal-fired power stations be closed down by private industry in Australia. So in the case of Hazelwood, um, Engie, a French company, have decided that it's no longer profitable to keep an old, clunky, high-polluting power station like Hazelwood open. AGL are making the same decision in, in New South Wales Companies are refusing to build more coal-fired power stations because they understand they're going to be stranded assets in the future. And that's because we're reaching this massive tipping point in energy politics now where renewables are becoming more reliable, they're becoming cheaper, and they're becoming better investments even for private industry going into the 21st mm. century. Um, and, yeah, I, it's... Um, it's now becoming an interesting ideological um, 180 from the coalition that they're deciding that they want the government to intervene to keep these old power stations open. when even the market at this stage is saying renewables are renewable for the
0: answer. Well, indeed, some of the big American finance companies uh, and also I noticed Shell in the recent weeks have all come out and said they're going to invest much more in renewable energy mm. and, that, and they're not going to invest in coal. And I think we all know Shell's worldwide record on investment issues, but even companies that have long since argued against climate change, etc., are now coming out and saying yes, because obviously it is profitable for them now to start investing in renewables anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean they they're being guided by um, by the market, and I think um, you know this is representative of a big tipping point in price and in the um, and in the market. But very importantly, it's not going to happen fast enough for us to do anything about mitigating dangerous climate change if we leave it up to these companies. We're still going to need a social movement. We're still going to need communities speaking out to make sure that we accelerate this transition. Mm. And um, one of the most inspiring examples from the last uh, month or so is the community of Port Augusta in South Australia, They are a community that have relied on coal-fired power for a lot of their, a lot of their employment in the past. But over the last five years, they campaigned for what we call a solar thermal power plant to be built in Port Augusta in South Australia. And it's an amazing piece of new technology that they used elsewhere in the world. There are plants in Spain, for instance. Um, that's, it's, it's not solar PV technology. What it is, it's a giant tower that's filled with salt with an amazing ring of mirrors on the outside that points um, sunlight directly to the top of the tower, melt the salts, and the salts move up and down the tower, creating the motion that you need to create electricity. Just
0: the one they um, call solar thermal or something. Solar it, thermal power yeah. plants. And I, yeah. really,
1: I really recommend people Google them because they're absolutely amazing. And most importantly, they are capable of achieving baseload power. Um, a really amazing organisation called Beyond Zero Emissions did a report now about 10 years ago that said that, um, you know, across Australia in, with support of other renewables like wind and, and pumped hydro and um, various other kinds of technologies, you would only need about seven or eight of these solar thermal power stations across Australia to achieve our baseload power need. Um They're absolutely phenomenal. And so this, this power station is being built only because the community demanded it and they ran an amazing grassroots campaign and they finally got approval from the South Australian government last month and it's going to happen.
0: Mm. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The, of course, the um, Beyond Zero Emissions has two programs a week on the station. but uh, They do, the, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, what, what prompted that? I mean, you say it was a wonderful community, but what, what inspired that community particularly to take that action?
1: Well, I think that that community is experiencing the same kind of uncertainty that we're seeing in the Hunter Valley and in the Latrobe Valley, where these communities know that coal isn't going to isn't going to last them through the century as 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 uh, means for employing people. I mean, we're we're seeing Hazelwood close, Liddell's closing. Um, A- AGL has said that it's going to close all of its power plants by 2050, which isn't fast enough for climate change, but it's. Um, but it's also a great deal, you know, something of a great deal of concern for those communities. And we need, we need answers for those communities. They need to know um, what's going to sustain their economy after, after coal leaves. And as you, as you said, I mean, privatisation has shown that these companies aren't going to be looking after the community. Um, and we're going to we're gonna have to find other ways to do it. So I think the community in Port Augusta saw this coming. And they knew that if they weren't going to advocate for a new industry in their area, then nobody else was and luckily they've managed to be successful and it's it's a very inspiring example, and I really hope that we can we can do the same thing for the communities in the Hunter Valley and La Trobe Valley. Mm.
0: And, of course, through all this, with Liddell, AGL's almost coming out as a goodie, um, saying it wants to get out of coal. But it, but its its bottom line, ultimately, is it wants to be out of coal by 2050. That's a fair way away, isn't it?
1: Mm. And They've only made these statements because of an enormous amount of pressure from from the climate movement. We, um, I remember the year before last, we were holding lots of protests in their um, headquarters saying that they're Energy policy was completely hypocritical if they were saying that they were um, that they had this amazing renewable energy portfolio and yet they were still um, they were still propping up all of these old conquer coal-fired power stations with no plan to, to exit coal and so subsequently they've come out with a policy saying that they're going to exit coal by 2050 which isn't enough to um, isn't enough to mitigate climate change. It's only it's it's up to the community to keep putting pressure on these power stations to get to get out of coal and to keep putting pressure on the government to be putting whatever incentives they can into place to transition us to renewable energy as quickly as possible.
0: Mm. And your campaign, I mean, obviously you're in the middle of all this. What what is your campaign doing around that very issue you just talked about?
1: Um, so at Friends of the yes, Earth we have been very much focused on the unconventional gas issue over the last five years and we managed to get a ban on unconventional gas and fracking in Victoria which was an absolutely fantastic outcome for communities. Um, often gas is touted as a transition fuel. People say renewables can't do it yet um, but if we're going to transition away from coal we'll need to use gas in the meantime and a really important Um, point that our campaign was trying to make is that gas, especially unconventional gas, often releases a lot of methane into the atmosphere and methane is a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So in fact, gas isn't a transition fuel. It would, in fact, accelerate us towards climate change. Um, So keeping keeping gas in the ground and stopping fracking was a really important part of our climate fight. Simultaneously, we had an amazing campaign called Yes to Renewables um, that managed to turn Victoria from a state that had the worst wind farm laws in the world to one of our national leaders on renewable energy. And now we have two fantastic Victorian renewable energy targets to challenge the federal government to, to put in place one nationally. Um, and as we, um, yeah, we, we have a, a great campaign that, uh, Friends of the Earth called Quick Coal. We meet on every Wednesday at the Friends of the Earth office and um, and work on these issues. And have worked previously with the Latrobe Valley and um, and we also have a Stop a Dutty campaign running out of the Friends of the Earth office at the moment because we while we have these domestic energy issues which are incredibly important, another part of the puzzle of climate change in Australia is that we're exporting huge amounts of coal. To um, Asia and to other places in the world, and the emissions that come from the coal that we export aren't considered in our national emissions. We're basically just exporting climate change to other countries. Mm. Um, so that's a very, very important fight in Australia at the moment as well, and we're also working on that at, at Friends. Yeah,
0: Year. it's one thing. You know, like you, we've this program has for many years argued that that should be included as part of our footprint. Um, are you any closer to having achieving that, to having it included, which would certainly make our Paris uh, commitment look a bit ordinary?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're any closer to that happening. <laughs> um, well, what we are closer to, though, um, you know, five years down the track, is a lot of communities who are running really amazing resistance campaigns against coal mine expansions and coal mines in New South Wales and Queensland, um, Adani. Uh, is, of course, a huge, huge mine and and what they call a carbon bomb, like a a mine that has the potential to um, accelerate climate change significantly. But we also have, I I think it's close to 50 other um, new coal mine proposals and expansions in New South Wales and Queensland. And um, Lock the Gate are an amazing network of of those communities down on the ground in Queensland and New South Wales who are mining very hard to stop those coal mine expansions. Um, and, um, I mean, in the long term, what we really need is the, at least those companies who are exporting, um, exporting all of this coal overseas to be paying some kind of climate adaptation tax or creating some kind of disincentive to, to be exporting all of that coal overseas.
0: Yeah, uh, the, I I suspect that the neoliberal editorialists at the Financial Review would disagree with what you've been saying a hundred percent. By the way, Chloe, but they mm-hmm. recently had an editorial, Vic Premier's low energy power play, in which they attacked the Victorian government for its power policies, and include what you what you praise, they described as his boneheaded ban on developing gas supplies that could provide the base load for reliable power when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. So. Um, they disagree with you, obviously.
1: They they do. Um, they also disagree with um, if thousands of farmers across Victoria <laughs> who didn't want fracking on their um, on their properties and who thought that it was a risk to agriculture and tourism and and the integrity of rural communities in Victoria. Um, they also seem week after week to be completely um, in denial or agnostic towards climate change. Um, and I um, yeah, I mean, I think. The, they they work in the um, interests of people who aren't necessarily going to be suffering from the worst effects of climate change, and who might be making making um, making profit from the status quo. So um, I, I think it just goes further to prove how if we if we really need the dynamics to change in politics, we need we need social movements to do that, and that's all we've managed to achieve in Victoria with through the through the VRE campaign and through the Gas Vic- Um, ban campaign. We managed to um, transform the energy debate in Victoria so that we now have a government that's supporting what we think are much more progressive energy policies. Um, And I mean... We just we can't rest. We need that work to continue if we're if we're going to mm. um, get anywhere towards securing a safe climate. Yeah,
0: because the fin review position reflects what's been the argument for so long that we only we only can address climate change or save the environment if it doesn't cost, um, and that the, the the economy must be is much more important. Uh, are we getting to a stage with your campaigns cetera, that at least we're reversing that sort of ridiculous thinking?
1: Well, I think the, I think the thing that they're missing there is the incredible costs that are going to be involved in climate change. Mm. I mean, we've seen the devastation that Hurricane Irma has, um, has wrought across the Caribbean and across Florida there. And um, it will be very interesting, um, as, as time goes on to see what happens with the, with the huge number of insurance claims that are involved, with the, um, with the huge cost of the cleanup there, with the, um, I mean, if you're going to speak in those terms of the loss of, loss of, um, economic um, economic growth in Florida over the period where they um, where they're devastated by the hurricane. Um, I think in um, in Australia, in Victoria, we're going to be experiencing um, a huge loss of our arable land potentially, which means a huge dent into our, into our agriculture industry over the long term. Um, uh, you know, if we're if we're experiencing increased bushfires and coastal erosion, who knows what kind of effect that's going to be having on on the economies of different areas of Victoria. Um to say that it costs too much to do something about climate change now compared to the um compared to the costs we're going to be experiencing in the future, it just seems ridiculous yeah. to me.
0: Yeah, speaking of ridiculous, I mean you had a situation this week where um where um, what 's his name Trump went to Dakota and stood in front of a fossil power station and and said in fact that he we got out of the Paris Accord because it it was it, it cast jobs, it was too costly, etc cetera, etc cetera.
2: Mm. and at
0: the same time he announced that the the North Dakota pipeline was open for business. But in the same speech, he said how his prayers and and thoughts were with all the people suffering from the hurricane. I mean, he he didn't blush. He didn't see that he could not see the connection. Obviously,
1: yeah. And I think um, I think it's really that's a really important crux of the debate here. Is that there, you know there are a lot of people who work in existing um, the existing coal industry who we need to make sure that we're looking after mm-hmm. as we transition to to renewable energy. But to say that there, I mean, there are huge numbers of jobs in in a transition towards renewable energy and there's a lot of ongoing jobs in renewables um, in renewables that match and are even greater than those in the coal industry mm-hmm. and um, yeah I mean but we definitely have to be looking after those those coal communities who are going to be um, potentially um, who are potentially going to um, lose their jobs as part of the transition or, um, or at least face some instability um, but it's Definitely, no excuse for
0: inaction. No, that needs to be taken into account for sure. But you're right; it's no need for inaction, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, of course, you get people like Trump carrying on with that ridiculous arguments. But uh, also, back in Australia, even in terms of great logical argument, I mean, as a satirist, at times I find it frustrating because sometimes they out satire satire with reality. (laughs) Um, Last weekend, the National Party conference took a decision that it would only support clean energy a clean energy target if it didn't include clean energy um which is about as stupid as you can get
1: yeah, and I think the national party are really are really missing um, really missing what the conversation is at the grassroots level as well because renewable energy is a is a huge opportunity for regional victoria. Uh, or regional australia i mean we have we have um keppel prince who are a big renewables energy fact, um, energy manufacturer down in portland who employ a substantial number of people in portland and who are building <coughs> building wind farms across regional victoria and create creating jobs for regional victorians um in some cases making community funds for victorian communities to use um the re- renewable energy is a big opportunity, I mean in some cases even drought proofing farms because farmers are getting revenue from the wind towers, even if that that land isn't making any money for them that season and i I really i spoke, you know I've spoken to a lot of a lot of people in regional Victoria throughout the gas bank campaign who see opportunities in renewable energy and who you know see the potential problems of fracking or of climate change as time goes on and, and are definitely supportive of renewable energy so um, yeah, it's it 's a very very disappointing position from the from the national party and I really hope they get a big wake up call from their grassroots <laughs> and from
0: There are contradictions there, aren't there, of course. Back to America, of course, and over there, what you said, that there are more people now employed in America in the renewable industry than there are in the fossil industry. Uh, But Trump seems to be ignoring that. But that's a nice segue because we've got a piece from America, Alex Smith, who does a program called Echo Shot here on Sunday mornings between six and seven coming out of America. Uh, gave a wonderful monologue last Sunday about the situation in the world. It's about eight minutes. So I'm asking you to, would you, do you mind hanging on and just listening, Then I'll get you to comment as we wind up the program, uh, Chloe. Sure. So hang on and listen to this. Here's Alex Smith with his monologue from last week.
3: And now for a Radio shock roundup of all the news they didn't tell you this summer. As you've heard during the interviews, there were even large floods in eastern Nigeria, Africa, as well as Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh. At least 1,200 people died during floods in East Asia during August, and millions are homeless. Without any food or hope of government aid, you can Google it, and BBC News in the UK are one of the few English-language networks to cover that. Regular listeners know that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued a report on extreme weather events, which will increase as the world warms, I've done several programs on extreme rainfall events dating back to 2008. The atmosphere has warmed over 1 degree C, which allows it to hold 7% more water vapor. That means more rainfalls somewhere. It's simple physics. And then there are the fires. I was surrounded by them again this summer. We had more smoke alert days than clear days. It was very hot here, well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 degrees C, day after day. There's been no rain here for almost two months. This isn't summer as I ever knew it. In Canada, British Columbia declared its second-ever state of emergency as hundreds of forest fires erupted. It's cost about a third of a billion dollars to fight them. Tens of thousands of people were evacuated, including from cities. Gigantic valleys burned. The smoke drifted over a thousand miles to the east. Aboriginal people have been evacuated from northern Manitoba and Saskatchewan provinces as more fires burned there. Crops withered in the key grain-growing parts of southern Saskatchewan. There were major fires in California, Oregon, and Washington, as this broadcast goes to air. The West is burning again. That's another predicted outcome of climate change, but even the best scientists did not expect it this early. Let me just skim through some of the headlines that would have been world affairs before these turbulent times. I'll read through them, and you can follow up what interests you through the links posted in my weekly show blog. That appears every Wednesday by 6 p.m. Pacific time at ecoshock.org. In North America, a drought in the Western Plains threatened some of the wheat crop. Sacramento was hit by a record-breaking heat wave. People who attended the Burning Man Festival this year in Nevada suffered through 100-degree Fahrenheit heat, not seen there at this time of year since the 1940s. And they got a massive sandstorm that filled every tent, RV, and nose. It was apocalypse now for those folks at $1,000 a ticket. In July, in nearby Death Valley, California, they set a new global record for the hottest single month ever since official records began in 1911. The East Coast hardly saw a beach day for the month of July. It was strange. New Englanders were on the cool side of the great bending jet stream that's been changed since the Arctic sea ice melted. A heat wave swept over the Arctic in Canada with severe fires in the Northwest Territories. It was the same in Siberia and Russia. Heat, fires and smoke. We can only imagine the amount of carbon released there, especially when the peat catches fire. And as I've told you, There were fires on Greenland. That's not unheard of, but it's pretty strange to get ones that big. Moving on to Europe. In early August, the Telegraph reported the European heat wave, which killed five, with temperatures soaring above 40 degrees C. In France, wildfires forced mass evacuations in late July, especially along the Mediterranean. As you no doubt heard, there was a sad incident where over 60 members of a Portuguese village were killed trying to flee a fire. The fires in Portugal were declared a public calamity. The great city of Rome faced an unusual water shortage with rationing. Even the Vatican shut off its fountains. Extreme heat decimated crops in central and southeast Europe, exposing the riverbeds not seen for centuries in places. Overall in Europe, it was called the Lucifer heat wave, which led to a higher death rate and crop damage. Summer skiing at one Italian glacier was shut down For the first time in 90 years, just another sign of the times. Turkey experienced strange and severe storms. Government workers in Iraq were laid off due to blistering heat. Birds were reported falling dead from the sky when temperatures in Kuwait went over 50 degrees C or 122 degrees Fahrenheit. An eastern province of Nigeria was recently hit by super floods with countless people losing their homes, cattle and all their belongings. I've already reported on the super monsoon. Okay,
0: look, we'll fade that out there because it gets, uh, gets actually gets depressing after that. Um, but um, Chloe, you know, I think the picture was there pretty clear that around the world we're seeing um, we're seeing the effects of all this. While, as we said earlier, some you know the key people who often make the decisions are just I- ignoring it or claiming it isn't happening.
1: Yeah, and um, I mean even today, where. Thing. I think it's the hottest September on day on record in Sydney, in a total fire day. day. Um, and I mean, you can see in New South Wales now we're potentially facing a six-month fire season. It's it's very serious. It's uh, happening increasingly quickly, um, and. I, I really just go back to the un- the only thing that's going to stop this is social movements. And I really encourage people to come into the Friends of the Earth office and to find a campaign fit for them, whether it's the Act on Climate campaign, or the Quick Coal campaign, or the Yester and Renewables campaign, um, or the Sustainable Cities campaign that's just started. And really, it's it's un- just like the Vic Gas ban, it's, uh, it's only going to be people power that that really seriously change our policy mm. in this country.
0: Just, just moving on. In fact, because because I know you yesterday you talked on a different on the program on this station about a recent um, conference you went to in PNG. Um, a bit about that, just briefly. Um, you know, the,
1: sure. Um, so, Friends of the Earth is part of an international network. There are um, Friends of the Earth groups in seventy five countries. And I was at a regional meeting of the Asia Pacific groups in in Papua New Guinea, which is an amazing opportunity to connect with activists from all across that region. Um, and yeah, we're kind of working together for for regional solutions to some of these problems, whether it's climate displacement or forest fires or um, climate fin- like uh, coal financing in the region.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, and what were some of the um, you know some of the highlights of the whole thing?
1: Well, one of the one of the big highlights for me was hearing about what the other groups have been doing and the other groups' wins. We don't necessarily get a lot of um, a lot of these things don't peter down into Australian news very often. But for example, uh, the Korean group, the South Korean group, they're called the Korean Federation of Environmental Movement, were um, played played a played a big part of civil society role in the bringing down of of the president of Korea last year, who they. Considered to be corrupt and, um, and turning into a bit of a dictator. And um, subsequently, they have pushed the new president into a very amazing policy of, of deciding to phase out nuclear energy in Korea, which is, which is really um, a phenomenal policy shift for, for South Korea. And also to stop the construction of all new coal-fired power stations, which means that some coal-fired power stations there that were only, um, that were already in, um, about, at about 20% completion have just been abandoned by the government there, um, in favour of a, of a new renewable energy policy. So I think, uh, we hear a lot about how impossible action is, but the more and more you hear about what's going on in the world, the more you see, the energy transition is already happening. Um, Unfortunately, at the moment, not fast enough to be able to put a big dent in climate change or or bring it to a halt. So we we definitely need an acceleration, but it is incredibly inspiring to hear what's happening in all of these different countries. Yes. But as that news report said, you, you also hear about, what the effects of climate change are are already having on on different places in the world, and I think we have a very american and um European focus in our in our news. We don't hear about these we don't hear as much about the huge droughts that are happening in Bangladesh. Even in the car in the coverage of Hurricane Irma, we heard a lot more about the potential damage to Florida than we did about the devastation that's happened on those Caribbean islands. Mm. And it's a huge reminder that it's going to be the poorest who are worst affected by climate change, and it's a reminder of the the huge migration crisis that it's likely to cause. Um, but we really need to be active in, in making sure that we're protecting people in as
0: well. We commented on that last week, in fact, that there was massive spread of the uh, hurricane damage in America, etc. Uh, and at the same time, there was an in-brief in the Herald Sun about a thousand or more people being killed across the subcontinent in um, India and Bangladesh and uh, Nepal by monsoons, which were also part presumably – well, probably the, the extent of them is is due to climate change, I would think – um so yeah they they certainly there's a there's certain there's a, an Americanization or europeanization of uh, of our whether not, not would that be a word um of our <laughs> of our coverage uh, but if they're if they're black or poor we don't care about them much yeah that's
1: that seems to be the attitude
0: yeah I had an experience, speaking of your PNG, I went up to Bougainville um, in 69 very angry that we were bulldozing people off their village to give it mm-hmm. to, to Consing Rio Tinto. And we, up in the mountains, we drank out of the Java River, which was a beautiful clear waters where it started. And um, and and even in the humidity, it was quite cool and wonderful. And about a month after the mine opened, I saw a photo of the um, where the Java going out into the sea was just this viscous sludge caused by the mining company and destroying the fish and destroying the livelihood of the people down the river. Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's what they do, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and good on you for being there, and it's like an ongoing struggle for the, for the people in PNG. Most of the land in PNG is customary land, and people have the right to, to live there as they have for thousands of years. And, but increasingly... Miners, developers are trying to take those lands off, off ordinary people, keeping them off those lands and at that land, and then leaving them to more or less destitution if they can't if they can't subsistence in the way that they had on the land, including fishing previously. And in a lot of the, in a lot of cases, there are very strong Australian links between um, yeah between these companies, and um, it's a lot of the things that we're just huge crimes that Australian Australian companies and projects were committing against those
0: people in PNG. Yes, and the law was very interesting because um, the people up there were, were, were being arrested if they protested about Constant Rio Tito taking their land and down here a friend of mine went and took out a miner's right on the front garden of CRA's Collin, then Collin Street office and he got arrested for trespass. Um, <laughs> so uh, the laws seemed to be a bit different in both places. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Chloe, just to finish up, the other thing is I noticed recently the government has been stacking the um, whatever the authorities call that um, oversees non-government organisations and charities, etc., um, and stacking it with, for instance, a bloke from the minerals councils now on the body that will oversee whether foes should get money or should have a, a tax exemption, etc. This is a pretty worrying development, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so um incre like it's just a it's it's another stage in the current government's attack against environment groups. They're trying to remove our tax deductibility status, um, claiming that we spend too much of our time on political advocacy and not enough on on initiatives like tree planting. Um, and you know, of course, of course, we value that work and we do some of that at FO, so, but we do think that at the moment. The environment doesn't have a political advocate, and that it's a, a that the environment um, movement and environmental NGOs play a very important role in advocating for the environment, and have been responsible for the protection of really important assets, environmental assets, and um, they they're continuing this onslaught, and we we really need community support to be really pushing back and saying that there is a place for environmental NGOs to be having this advocacy role um, in in our civil society.
0: Okay, we've been talking to Chloe Oldenhoven from Friends of the Earth. Chloe, just to wind up, um, just what can people do if they want to get involved in these campaigns with you or a bit more detail about them, um, what can they do?
1: Well, I really encourage you to make contact with Friends of the Earth, whether you give us a call or come into the office at 312 Smith Street, and um, we have a wide range of campaigns on sustainability and and climate change and fossil fuels, and um, we'll be able to bring you to a volunteer induction night and have a look at those different campaigns to see what suits you and um, we, we really think that these community campaigns are, are how change, change is made, so we really encourage anyone who's concerned to come along.
0: Okay, look, Chloe, thanks for your time this morning, and it's been great talking to you, and we'll do it again, no doubt, because it's not going to go away immediately. In fact, it's a bit unfair. I, mean, I, I suspect you're much younger than me, but it means that your generation is the one that's copying it from men in suits of my generation who don't seem to give a stuff about
1: you. That, that's true. And we're also in the awkward position of being the last generation who can do something about it. So. Yeah.
0: Well, keep working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't, no need to tell you. You're going to keep working on it, aren't you? Uh, okay, Chloe, look, thanks so much for your time. Bye. Maria, Chloe in there, who's from the, um, from Pins of the Earth. She's the coal and, and gas person there. And, um, and next week, Andy. Yep. is our housing day, and there was a, there was a meeting last Thursday of a number of people got together to look at how to, um, how to run a ca- how, not how to run, how to, have a, or to organise a campaign around this effect of privatisation of mm. public housing that's going on, and uh, we'll have more detail of that, and what happened there and what's going to happen next week, so we'll talk about
2: some of those no, issues. No worries. Sounds good. We'll go out with a song by La Bastard called Trouble. By who? La Bastard. <laughs> it's Good thought, name, thought, isn't it? That's what I, I, thought. I thought you said. <laughs> <laughs>